Welcome to the Game Plan Podcast with Judah Newby and Brian Perkins, breaking down all things Seahawks. One of the NFL season is finally here, and we are here to break it all down as the Seattle Seahawks visit the Denver Broncos Sunday in the Mile High City. He's Brian Perkins. I'm Judah Newby. This is the Game Plan Podcast. Thanks for checking it out, as always. And we are finally ready for NFL regular season football, Perkins. It couldn't have come soon enough. It feels like it, too. Yeah. Every morning for the past week, I've had to use the little defrost uh, button on my car <laughs> that means it's football season that means it's football season it's i started to change the alarm on my phone to the nfl film soundtrack that's how you know that's how you know that's just one of the one of the many quirky things i do to get myself ready for football yeah see i always associate alarms with bad mm. so i never like to put anything i like on my alarms well, because you, that means i have to wake up well yeah but now you can <laughs> soften the blow a little that's right bit. you literally wake up and do ladder drills exactly that's what you do i'm ready i'm fired up <laughs> uh great news for the seahawks earlier this week perkins earl thomas is back he ends his holdout he reports for the first time to practice on wednesday of course the six-time pro bowler is entering the final year of his four-year 40 million dollar deal that was signed back in 2015 he posted on instagram that he is back because he is now Never let down his teammates, his coaches, or his city, and he's not about to start this weekend. But he also included a phrase in there that said, this disrespect is not going to be forgotten. And he's entering the last year of the, the deal on his contract. Little bit of Jekyll and Hyde, a little bit of joy that he's back and he's finally in the building and that the holdout won't extend it into the regular season. But it certainly came with a caveat, Perkins, with the phrase phraseology that uh, he's he's still not happy. Yeah, Pete Carroll said yesterday on Wednesday that oh, we're going to we, we still plan to resign him. We still plan for him to retire as Seahawk. Based on that post and everything that's happened this offseason, I have a hard time imagining that that is actually what's going to happen. But to anyone wondering or questioning whether or not Earl Thomas's heart will be in it this season, whether or not uh, the, the bitterness that he feels towards the front office and the way that he was treated will impact his play, I have a hard time seeing that happen, Judah, just based on his history as a football player and the mindset that he has when he's on the field. He's not that type of guy. He is so competitive and so hyper-focused when he is out there. I mean, he's, you know, likely going to make mistakes. You know, he's not perfect. But to act like he's not going to give 100%, like he's not going to try hard, I think disrespects him again as a player because his track record runs contrary to that. So I would not worry about that if you're a fan at all. How big of a deal is this, Judah, to have him back? In 2016, Earl Thomas missed the final five games of the regular season. The team with him in the lineup was fifth in passing DVOA. With him out, 30th. I remember that. Opponent passer rating with him in the lineup, 77.8, fifth in the NFL. Without, 100.3, 31st. Wow. So this is the team that went from the one of the best passing defenses in the league to the worst or second worst passing defense in the NFL with him out of the lineup. That's the type of impact that Earl Thomas can have. So... 
you need to be excited if you're a fan and enjoy what will likely be his last season in Seattle. This was head coach Pete Carroll's reaction when Earl arrived on Wednesday. He's ready to get back at it. This is a guy that's been as dedicated to this game as anybody that we've ever seen, and uh, he wants to play football. We had to deal with some business issues, and, and that's what he was dealing with, and, and it came back down to the love of the game. His love of the game is undenying, and uh, we're back at it. Another guy who's thrilled to have his uh, star in the building, the defense coordinator, Ken Norton. Oh, my goodness. Really good to see Earl back. Uh, I, I, got, I became a better coach today, but uh, really good to see him. Uh, you know how much he's been a part of this program and how awesome he's been from the day one he, he, uh, he arrived here. And uh, he's, you know, he's part of his family. The two best players on the Seahawks are both 29 years old, Earl Thomas, Russell Wilson. Russell turns 30 in November. Earl will turn 30 next spring. Of course, uh, both of them are in different contract situations with this team right now. But it really does put you at ease to know that your two leaders and two best players are in the building and ready to go. And Wednesday, in the pre uh, the the lead up to Week One, Wednesday, that really is the latest time that you can report and be just hypothetically ready for Week One. We saw Le'Veon Bell did not report for the Steelers, which puts his Week One status and the entire season status in question. Earl coming in on Wednesday, that's the first day of real game planning and practice for the opponent. That's significant. It's hard to see him missing this game. I mean, initially we had talked about off-air, you know, is he going to be in game shape? Is he going to be ready to go? He returned on Wednesday for a reason, and that was because he expects to play Sunday. I mean, that's the reason that he returned when he did. So I I completely believe that he is going to find time. Will he start? I don't know, but I do think he's going to see the field. And you know Ken Norton got a full eight hours of sleep last night knowing that he now has Bobby Wagner yeah. and Earl Thomas uh, when defensing a lot of turnover. It has to make you feel a little bit better. Defense turnover. I see what you did there. Um, also, who's starting at weak side linebacker in this game? None other than Shaquem Griffin, the fifth-round draft pick out of UCF. Of course, he inspires so many with the fact that he's playing NFL football with only one hand. Even put that fact aside, He's been an impact player. He was the Seahawks' leading tackler in the preseason. And with K.J. Wright continuing to deal with uh, rehab from a from a small knee injury, we'll see how soon K.J. can return. But the fact that Shaquem Griffin will be starting in his first career NFL game alongside his twin brother Shaquille playing cornerback on the outside, this might be the best NFL story I've ever heard. It's insane. And... Who would have thought that Seattle taking him fifth? And you know, there, you kind of had that feeling before the draft that Seattle might take him, and you know the the connection obviously with the brothers. But man, it has been a hell of a storyline, hasn't it, for him to make the team, to overcome the obstacles that he has, and now he's kind of thrust into the starting lineup. I doubt when Seattle drafted him in the fifth round, they were thinking, yeah, he's going to be starting Week One against the Broncos. No. But uh, a great opportunity for him to shine early as he uh, is is thrust into the lineup. And it will be it's fascinating to see what kind of matchups he's in. You know, K.J. Wright used, was in a lot of coverage and, of course, helped a ton in, in run defense as well. And all three running backs in the uh, Broncos depth chart, we'll get to them in a moment. They all come from the Pac-12, interestingly enough, uh, looking at that. Royce Freeman, Devontae Booker, and Phillip Lindsay from Oregon and Utah, Colorado, respectively. But Shaquem Griffin will be an important part of this game plan in his very first NFL game. Other injury news and notes, DJ Fluker profiled the start at right guard. He's been dealing with a hamstring. If he cannot go, that means J.R. Sweezy will be called upon to start in that position. 
a guy that obviously we're familiar starting at that uh, spot on the offensive line for the Seahawks, but the last couple of years has been in Tampa Bay. J.D. McKissick, of course, going to miss a significant amount of time. We've mentioned that throughout, as well as uh, Ed Dixon. So the tight end spot will be uh, certainly on uh, on in the spotlight for week one. Yeah, no, without a doubt. And then a Fetty, you see him being limited in practice this week, but looks to be more precautionary than anything with an ankle injury. Uh, and whether or not you're a fan of his, I don't know if you want necessarily George Fant starting week one, uh, the year coming off of a significant knee injury on the opposite side of the line that he has played in his short NFL tenure. So, uh, you know, it looks like a Fetty's going to be able to go, but something to keep an eye on as well. Russell Wilson made it on a Wheaties box. That's, you know, good national hype. Would you imagine that back in 2012, your third-round pick quarterback would eventually make it on a Wheaties box? He is like the most Wheaties box athlete ever, though. He's definitely a Wheaties. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's all over it. All right, that's going to wrap up uh, news and notes. Time to debut a new segment here on the Game Plan Podcast, what I like to call the matchup zone. And, of course, that's normally a basketball term. But the matchup zone, as far as segments on the podcast, are when we take a preview of the opponent for the Seahawks for that coming Sunday. And myself and Perkins will each highlight three specific matchups on the field that catch our eye that we believe will make an impact in this game. Perkins, I'll go ahead and let you go first. Well, we know how effective Russell Wilson is outside the pocket, right? We know that that is when he really can create magic. You see Seattle uh, execute a high number of explosive plays in those scenarios, or he just, you know, is able to scamper for five or six yards and create a manageable second or third down, or even get you a first down. Well, Looking at the matchup between Wilson and outside linebacker Bradley Chubb, I think will be really interesting. Obviously, Von Miller is going to have a say in this as well. But a guy like Chubb that notoriously is able to contain quarterbacks and keep guys in the pocket, will he be able to do that to Russell Wilson? That is going to be a matchup to keep an eye on because we know Russell is magic when he gets outside the pocket. Chubb, 10 sacks his last year at NC State, number five overall pick. Yeah, that's going to be huge. I'll go ahead and take his teammate at the other outside linebacker position. Remember, this is a 3-4 that the Broncos like to run. Von Miller, who both Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson said is going to be a future Hall of Famer. They likened him to guys like Lawrence Taylor, Bruce Smith, some of the top edge rushers that have ever played the game. Now, keep in mind, Von still has a lot of his career left to play, but you're talking about a Super Bowl MVP. Right? Yeah. <laughs> this guy, yeah. Super Bowl MVP in Von Miller. And uh, he's only played against the Seahawks one time in a game that we'll get to a little bit later in the podcast when we do remember when. He had one sack against Russell Wilson in that game. But the matchup here is him against Dwayne Brown, the starting left tackle for the Seahawks, recently signed to the big extension in the offseason. Dwayne Brown only got to play half the year with Seattle last season, so I'm really eager to see from an entire season standpoint what kind of impact a pro bowler protecting Russell Wilson's blindside will have, something they haven't had since Russell's rookie year. And, you know, just to see how he can hold up against arguably the best pass rusher in the game, you know, 1A, 1B, Von Miller, Khalil Mack, pick your poison. That's going to come in the first two weeks of the season for Dwayne Brown. So Dwayne Brown, Von Miller, can't wait to see the spotlight on that one. Uh, what's the second matchup for you? Yeah, this is another big one uh, that it, uh, that I want to see. And once again, it's Seattle offense versus Bronco defense. And I think one reason we're talking about that a lot is because you're going to have to see a better output from the Seahawks offensively this season if they're going to win a high number of football games. And for me, Tremaine Brock coming over from the Vikings, a guy that, by the way, had a cup of coffee uh, with the Seahawks early in his career when he came out as an undrafted free agent with the 49ers. But uh, he's a guy that's that's had 
an up and down type of career so far in the NFL, but for an undrafted free agent, has played well. But I really feel like if he can, if the Seahawks can force a matchup with him and Tyler Lockett. I like the idea of Lockett being able to burn him for a few deep balls and explosive plays. Lockett is back healthy. He got the big extension this offseason, and this game is going to be an opportunity for him to shine, especially given Doug Baldwin's knee injury. Well, that's a big unknown. Um, you know, Your other receivers are a bit unknown as well. I feel like that Lockett matchup with Tremaine Brock is something Seattle can take advantage of here. Denver signed a quarterback in the offseason by the name of Case Keenum, who led the Minnesota Vikings, coordinated by Pat Shermer last year, all the way to the NFC title game, winning one of the most dramatic divisional round playoff games you'll ever see in the NFL over the New Orleans Saints. Just how good is Case Keenum, though? Historically, up until that season with Minnesota, he was regarded as an average at-best quarterback that played really well in an air raid system at Houston when he was in college. Then he gets in Pat Shermer's offensive system, does very, very well. Now he's under Bill Musgrave's coordination. Musgrave collegiately played here at the University of Oregon, was the offensive coordinator play caller for Derek Carr at Oakland for a long time under Jack Del Rio, and now is here in Denver. How good is Case Keenum? I'm really eager to see that, and the matchup here is with Seahawks defensive coordinator Ken Norton Jr. Not from a sophistication standpoint, because let's be honest, the Seahawks defense in terms of principles is fairly simple, fairly basic by design, so it allows the players to play fast, play loose, and play downhill. That being said, Ken Norton getting to drop some blitzes. I'm eager to see how often he blitzes. Remember, that was never really a staple of Seahawks defenses in the past until Chris Richard brought it in a little bit more. And I'm eager to see how more, how much more Ken Norton does it, considering you don't have your normal names in the back end of your secondary. It's a flock of ducks, too, for the uh, Denver Broncos, right? Because not only do you have Musgrave as coordinator, but they a team announces this week Royce Freeman mm. is going to be their starting running back. And if you're a fan of Pac-12 football, you know him well. A standout career at the University of Oregon. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting because you see a lot of running backs come into the league as rookies, second, third-year players that... Not, aren't necessarily highly touted going into the draft, but end up a you know being able to really make some noise at least for a couple seasons. They're kind of an unknown still uh, outside of what they did in college. So I'm really interested to watch this Royce Freeman Bobby Wagner matchup. Mm. Bobby Wagner, one of the wow. best to do it Come in the on. NFL, but man, Royce Freeman kind of you know played well this preseason, right? I mean, he really worked his way up the depth chart. Three rushing touchdowns, 84 yards on 15 carries. That's over five yards a carry. In preseason, and you and I saw firsthand many times, Judah, how well he played at the University of Oregon. This is a guy that can make noise, and I think that uh, you talk about the quarterback situation. You know, if Denver's going to try to run the football, Bobby Wagner is going to have to get in the way of Mr. Royce Freeman. Most touchdowns in Oregon Duck history, Royce Freeman. 60 rushing touchdowns over his four-year career. I saw every home game during his senior year last year and just had the thought in my head, this guy's ready for the pros. He runs like an NFL-style running back, kind of akin to how Jonathan Stewart used to run when he was at U of O, and Jonathan Stewart has had a productive NFL career ever since he stepped onto an NFL field. Royce Freeman's going to be a heck of a back. I'm glad I picked him up in a couple fantasy leagues as well. <laughs> but him against the way Bobby Wagner plays too, they're almost similar. They almost mirror images of each other in terms of physique and style, I think. Very tenacious, both of them. Can't wait to see that one as well. Yeah, my Can't wait! My, my final matchup will be on the Denver Bronco offensive line. Their left tackle, Garrett Bowles. First-round pick from last year. He was the top tackle taken off the board. He ended up playing all 16 games despite being banged up with a foot injury. Here's the thing on Garrett Bowles as he faces Seahawk top pass rusher. 
Secondary pass rusher, Deion Jordan. How would you kind of put Frank Clark and Deion Jordan? Right now on the depth chart, Deion Jordan is the right defensive end, so he would be going up against the left tackle, and that's the matchup I'm focusing on. Jordan, of course, he looked good. The reports were that he he was going to be an impact player, and then he had the knee injury stuff, so we're really not sure how he looks. It was a pleasant surprise that he was able to pass his physical and be ready for week one, and he's going against a second-year left tackle, protecting the blind side of Case Keenum, and the book on Bulls, which is not an original story, good run blocker, a little bit more shaky in pass protection. I think Deion Jordan has a chance to make some noise coming off the edge with this uh, second-year left tackle. So just to recap our uh, matchup zone, uh, you led off with Bradley Chubb against Russell Wilson. I had Vaughn Miller versus Dwayne Brown. You have Tyler Lockett against Tremaine Brock. I had Ken Norton Jr. versus Case Keenum. <laughs> you have Royce Freeman against Bobby Wagner. And uh, I offer Deion Jordan against Garrett Bowles. It's time now for Remember When. It's time for Remember When on the Game Plan Podcast. That drop is from two years ago. And Thanks, can, voiceover guy. We still bring it back. Thanks, Rich. Thanks. Appreciate it, man. When we think about the history of the Seahawks and Denver Broncos, these were two longtime rivals in the AFC West. And even though I'm sure there were some great matchups of John Elway teams versus Seahawk AFC team, AFC teams that, uh, we could probably do a, a whole podcast on the AFC rivalry days between these two teams. These two teams, when you think of history, you've got to start with Super Bowl 48 when Denver came in with the historic offense led by Peyton Manning with Demarius Thomas and Wes Welker and uh, Monty Ball was on that team. But Manning was Emmanuel Sanders. But the Seahawks shut them down for their first Super Bowl and only Super Bowl in franchise history, forty-three to eight at MetLife Stadium. Forty-three to eight, baby. I changed my middle name to forty-three to eight after that game. Me too. The largest margin of victory for an underdog in Super Bowl history for the were the Seahawks. I picked them on air to lose to the Broncos. I'm an idiot, uh, but I guess years of being beaten down as a Seahawks fan just you know until they actually got over the hump, it was hard to uh, actually get on board with it. The Percy Harvin second half touchdown for me is what made me relax and unclinch a little bit, even though they were up big at the half. That kind of felt like, okay, that was the backbreaker. This game's over. Malcolm Smith was named MVP. He had a fumble return for a touchdown. The early moment that I think was almost iconic as far as a tone setter was Cam Chancellor's big hit over the middle on Demarius Thomas. Uh, Brandon Browner also hit Wes Welker pretty hard yep. in that game as well. And it, it kind of set the tone, and, and Cliff Averill, able to get to get home on Manning on a rush. That knocked the ball up in the air, allowing Malcolm Smith to... Uh, that was a pick six that Malcolm Smith had, and he later had a fumble recovery to seal Super Bowl MVP <laughs> honors. Yeah, wow. so, so here you go. Malcolm Smith gets Super Bowl MVP. Marshawn Lynch rushes for 39 yards. Averages just over two yards a carry in that game, he, and he Seattle scored, wins by 35. He? he did score a touchdown. He got one touchdown. Yeah, yeah, he did get a touchdown, but if you would have said... You know, Malcolm Smith's going to win MVP. Marshawn Lynch is going to rush for 35 yards. Oh, 39 yards. And by the way, you're going to win by 35 points. I mean, it just goes to show how how strange football can be. What a game, though. Russell Wilson's touchdown pass to Jermaine Curse when Curse broke like three or four tackles. Doug Baldwin, who had the little hook down to the two-yard line and evaded a couple more, beat Champ Bailey on a go ball down the sideline. I was uh, That was my senior year of college. And uh, me and another Seahawks fan were watching it out in uh, out in Chicago, and Bruno Mars played halftime. Russell Wilson had that curly hair, 
It was just a team that didn't start know, to finish, man. A team that didn't know any better, man. Yeah, start to finish too. The literal first freaking snap of the game goes the Seahawks' way. That's right. And wow. I mean, that game literally. I mean, I've never seen a game like that before, especially on that big of a stage where, like, the Broncos never had a chance. They never had ne- a chance. I mean, Seattle as, was as in control. Favorites and as historic offenses, they never had Crazy. a chance. Crazy, amazing. Uh, another game was right after that. There was the Super Bowl rematch in week three the following season. This was an epic game as well. And what a game. Marshawn Lynch played a little bit more big of a role in this one, ultimately, <laughs> with the ultimate game-winning touchdown in overtime when the Seahawks beat the Denver Broncos 26-20. to But Peyton Manning played really well this week three of 2014. Yeah, but it was looking like blowout city again, right? Remember, going into the fourth quarter, I think Seattle was up 17-3. to yeah. the, the Broncos offense had done nothing all game long again that was the conversation again but then yeah kj gets burned a couple times i think uh, this is where we get twin verticals yes yes you know th- this is the 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 twin verticals the double verticals yep that we started to dissect and ultimately realize this is the kryptonite of seahawk coverage when executed <laughs> properly switch verticals i think is the proper term when they have two receivers on the same side and then they switch about 10 yards down the field and it confuses the zone matchup zach miller was in that game Great blocking from him. Wow. Ricardo Lockett had a 39-yard touchdown. Yes, he did. In that game. <laughs> yeah. Some uh, some familiar names, but uh, boy, that game seems like ages ago at this point. That's remember when we could go on for so, so much longer on Broncos, Seahawks, games of the past, but we have to move on. Uh, game notes for this game, Perkins, as far as like milestone watches are concerned, does anything yeah. jump out to you? Yeah, so Pete Carroll... If they win this Sunday, he would tie Sid Gilliam for 33rd on the NFL All-Times win list. Coming for you, Sid! <laughs> uh, not, not necessarily this game, but Doug Baldwin, uh, assuming he can stay healthy the next three or four games, keep an eye out for him because he needs 29 receptions to pass John L. Williams for third. I had on his football card, John all-time. L. Williams. <laughs> yeah, I think I did too. Yeah. For third on the all-time receiving list. Uh, and he needs four touchdowns to pass Daryl Jackson. There you go. Wow. Early 2000s throwback. I've been for playing his- Madden 2006 li- lately because that's the only game we have at home for PS2. D-Jax <laughs> is nasty. <laughs> well, he can pass him for second on all-time receiving touchdowns list. So Doug Baldwin moving up the ranks there. And then a third one, Bobby Wagner. He needs just four tackles to pass Joe Nash for third on Seattle's all-time tackles list with 780. He should get that done this game, barring injury. And only 38 tackles to pass Keith Butler for second, 814. That's impressive. All right, let's wrap it up. Five for Friday, a final segment that we will do each and every Friday when we preview and pick rapid fire the five most notable games or Seahawk-related games outside of the Seahawk game across the NFL. Let's start with division rival San Francisco 49ers. Jimmy Garoppolo, first full season starting week one now in the Kyle Shanahan system, a guy that has never lost as a starting quarterback, goes to the Minnesota Vikings with Kirk Cousins that they've just picked up, and that loaded, loaded defense led by Mike Zimmer. How do we see this one? Niners are a sexy team, right? They're kind of the team that everyone's picking as the, uh, oh, they're going to be the next playoff team uh, that that was bad the last few years. This is going to be a big test for them right out of the gate. You're going up against a Minnesota team that is still probably really pissed off about the way last season ended, given the Minneapolis miracle, then getting throttled by the Eagles in the NFC Championship game. 
a road game to start out too against that defense. That's a, a lot to ask from your uh, your quarterback there in Jimmy Garoppolo. I'm I'm excited. This is a premier matchup to me, Week One in all of NFL, not just from a Seahawk fan perspective, but. Uh, you can't take too much out of one game in the NFL, especially week one, but I think uh, this is a kind of a good uh, measuring stick early on for the Niners. Offseason of defenses getting the game plan for Jimmy Garoppolo as well. Minnesota is a six-and-a-half-point favorite. I'll take the Vikings to win this game 26-20. to 20. Yeah, I think the Vikings are going to win this game, too. I don't. It's going to be a tough ask for San Fran to go on the road and get a victory here. Deshaun Watson is healthy as the Houston Texans go into New England to take on the defending AFC champion, New England Patriots. The Patriots are a six-and-a-half-point favorite. I like Houston to actually win this football game week one. Really? Right. Yes, I do. Oh, I think man. Uh, Watson, New Hopkins, there's a new defensive coordinator for the Patriots. I think there will be stuff to iron out there. Houston has gone in there and played well each of the last two times they've gone into Foxborough. Um, haven't won either time, but I think this is the time to do it. Yeah. No, I like it. I I, th- I think New England's going to win. It's very difficult for uh, the Patriots at home to lose a football game. But, man, Deshaun Watson is special. And six points seems like a pretty large spread for a team that's going to be uh, you know, housing one of the top ten quarterbacks in the NFL this year. One of the top picks, Saquon Barkley, number two overall, will debut for the New York Giants, hosting the Jacksonville Jaguars and that defense. Jacksonville should have gone to the Super Bowl last year, not in terms of just overall trajectory, but they should have won that football game in the fourth quarter against New England if they maybe had a bit better quarterback play. Jalen Ramsey against Odell Beckham Jr. week one out of the gate. This is going to be a great game. I will take Jacksonville to win, though. Yeah, I like Jacksonville as well. I hope Saquon runs for about... uh... You know, 200 yards, seeing as I drafted him in fantasy. Quad City. <laughs> yeah. Who would have thought that Jags Giants week one would be a premier matchup? But man, so many big names. It's going to be a lot of fun. A lot of people like the Giants this year. Chicago Bears are at the Green Bay Packers on Sunday Night Football. couple reasons why this matchup is intriguing. One, the Bears just acquired Khalil freaking Mack. Uh, we mentioned him with jo- uh, Von Miller as the best pass rushers in the league easily. Uh, going up against Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers, hopefully he'll be healthy for an entire football season. Packers with postseason aspirations themselves. This is going to be pretty good. I'll go ahead and take Green Bay, but Chicago is another team that's an up-and-coming up and coming group. No I mean, th- this is a team that made major, major upgrades this offseason outside of Mac. I mean, th- you know, they really tried to set this team up for success given how poor they played last season as a whole. Like you said, new coaching staff. I think it's going to be fun, but, man, I just it's hard to go against Aaron Rodgers Uh you know, at home week one, right? I mean, it's it's going to be a tough ask, I think. We'll, we'll see the Chicago Bears week two for the Seahawks Something, in Chicago. Watch Monday that night. game if you're yeah. a Seahawks fan. Keep an eye on that one. See how well Mac is adapting and, and uh, you know, after holding out the entire offseason, how much in form will he be in that game? Mark uh, Helfrich, former Duck coach, the offensive coordinator with the Bears. Matt Nagy, former Kansas City offensive coordinator, now the head coach of the Bears as well. Speaking of Monday night, when the Bears and Seahawks meet next week, this week it's the division rival LA Rams visiting John Gruden and the Oakland Raiders freshly departed with Khalil Mack. This should be all Rams all the way. I don't think Oakland's going to be very good in their final season being uh, in the Bay Area, but to me, this is a game that the Rams should win and win comfortably. Yeah, I mean, I the Raiders have done nothing in the offseason to inspire confidence. I, I'm not even convinced that John Gruden is that good of a head coach. I know. Given, Why would you be? Given his tenure and he's had success in years past, but the way you know he's having the team watch grainy footage from like the 70s for game film. I mean, I don't know. I I agree. I think it's all Rams 
all the time and a very comfortable win. They cover whatever the spread is. Finally, the Seahawks will take on the Denver Broncos as three-point underdogs. This game will be on Fox, I believe. I really should know this by now. Yes, 1.25 p.m. on Fox. (laughs) Denver favored by three. Who do you like? Man, this is a tough game. I'm going to take the Seahawks. The Broncos were not that good last year. I mean, I think we all need to remember, as much as people are down on the Seahawks this season, the Broncos weren't exactly world beaters last year. And while Case Keenum is an upgraded quarterback because their quarterback situation was horrendous last year, I have a hard time seeing them move the ball enough. And Seattle's offense really seemed to be in sync. A guy we did not mention this entire podcast is Chris Carson. Rashad Penny's healthy as well. I think Seattle does enough to get it done. I don't think it's a pretty game, though. 17-14, to 14, Seattle. I'm eager to see the Case Keenum-Demarius Thomas relationship early. I will also take the Seahawks. 23-20 to 20 in this football game. Uh, turnovers will play the difference within these two teams. He's Brian Perkins. I'm Judah Newby. We'll see you again early next week, breaking down this game and looking ahead to week two. Welcome to week one, everybody. Together, we made it. This is the Game Plan Podcast.